Hi, Suspect listeners. It is your host, Katie. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode. I'm kind of annoyed because of the episode that I'm about to do. I actually recorded this yesterday. And it was like an hour and a half worth of content, right? So I get done. I'm feeling really good about this episode. I go to save it and then my computer just fucking crashes and I lost the entire episode. So I just stared at my computer for like 30 minutes and I was trying to figure out like how I could find the file. I was on YouTube watching videos and moral of the story is I was not able to record the file, lost that entire file. And honestly, guys, it kind of just crushed me. Like, um, I think that's something that like a lot of creators don't talk about or they don't talk about enough is that when you lose something that you've been working on or you just put all your fucking effort into and then technology just fucks it up. Like, I don't know. It's, it just really feels defeating. So after that last night, I kind of just like stepped back, um, from the episode, decided that I was going to take a break for the rest of the night. Cause I was very frustrated and we're going to try and do this again today. So <laughs> If my voice sounds a little echoey, you guys, I don't know if I told you, but I had a leak in my old apartment, so I had to basically come over to a different apartment until that leak is fixed, and I took some of my stuff, but not all of my stuff, so the apartment that I'm in is just kind of empty, so I feel like it's kind of echoey, but it might not be when I listen back, so just to give you a warning in case... But yeah, I'm back. I'm going to try to re-record this episode, get it out to you guys by tomorrow. I mentioned in the last Suspect episode that we were going to be discussing different men and women in the black community for Black History Month, names that are very important, not to just their community, but to all of our communities. Um, These are people that have literally changed history, so... I just want to encourage everyone listening to, you know, really listen to these stories, open up your hearts, realize what these people went through, realize what they've given us in the world that we're living in today. And I don't know, I just like, I love having this platform. Today I was looking at all the different like countries and cities and different places, you know, that listen in on the podcast. And there's so many of you literally worldwide. I can't even, I can't even believe it. Like a good percentage of my listeners are in India, which is crazy to see that. Like you guys are taking up like 5% of my listenership. And I love that. I love to see how diverse you guys are and to know that, We're all different people. We all come from different places, but we're all coming together on Suspect to learn, to be there for each other, to educate ourselves and other people. So I don't know. It's just a really cool feeling. I have friends all over the world. You guys are all my friends. I hope all of you listening do feel like that. I want this podcast audience just to feel like you guys are like my family because that's how I look at you guys. Like you're my family. Got family worldwide. I should play Pitbull right now, Mr. Worldwide, or that Beyonce song. (laughs) I hope everybody listening has had a great week so far. I have a story time for you guys on something that happened to me this week that was kind of crazy. I'm laughing about it now just because that's the way that I cope with trauma, (laughs) is to just laugh through it and make jokes about it, hence why we even have the podcast in the first place. But let me give you guys a little story time. So... So on Sunday, which was about three days ago, I realized that I needed to go to Family Dollar because like I mentioned, I'm moving apartments and I just needed to go and get like 
you know, paper towels, toilet paper, cleaning supplies, just like the basic stuff. So I decided I'm just going to go to the family dollar right by my house. I don't feel like going out of the way, whatever. Well, I tell one of my friends right before I go to this family dollar, um, I was like, yeah, I need to hurry up and get to family dollar. It's four o'clock. And for some reason, the family dollar near my house, like just decides (laughs) when they're going to close, especially on Sundays, I'll go up there at like 5 p.m. And they'll be closed, which is, it's fucking weird. But anyway, so I know that. So Sunday, I'm like on it early. It's like 4 p.m. I'm like, cool. I need to go to the family dollar. I need to grab this stuff. And then I'm just going to come back. It should take me like 10 or 15 minutes, right? So I get to family dollar. I get like a couple of supplies that I need. Oh, I also needed to grab trash bags. That was the last thing I needed to grab. So I walk over to, you know, where the trash bags are. And I'm like standing there probably for just a couple minutes because also I had, I eat an edible before I went to the store so I'm a little high so I'm standing there and I'm looking at the trash bags and I'm trying to find like the best deal basically you know like what can I pay the least amount of money for but get the most trash bags so I'm standing there and I'm like analyzing the fucking trash bags so there was two employees working in the store at the time there there was a manager who was a woman she was kind of a shorter woman And then there was a taller employee who was just a younger man. He probably was like 21 at the oldest. So I'm standing there looking at the trash bags. And this 21-year-old man comes running to the back of the store. Like I had to step out of his way because he was running to the back of the store. So I didn't really think like much of it in that moment. Like the edible probably did not help me in that sense. But I'm just kind of like whatever. I step back up and I'm looking at the trash bags again. So like 10 seconds later. Well, hold on. Before I say that. I thought in that moment, I guess, I thought in that moment, like when I saw him running to the back of the store that, I don't know, like maybe a customer was like asking for a product that they had in the back. He was just trying to be fast. I don't know. I didn't think anything serious in that moment, you know, like I'm not fucking family dollar in Denver, whatever. So go back to looking at trash bags and then like 10 to 15 seconds after I go back to looking at trash bags the manager comes running to where I am and I'm like so confused at this point right because I haven't heard anything going on like nothing's happened it's just me and these two employees in the store that's what I assumed so the manager comes running back and she's like ma'am ma'am and I was like kind of freaked out that they thought I was stealing something because to be honest with you I looked kind of raggedy I had just woken up from a nap like my hair was not brushed I was wearing sweats and oversized t-shirt like I didn't know if they thought that I was like stealing something. So I like put my hands up and I was like, yeah, like, what's up? (laughs) Like kind of stuttering. And she was like, I need you to get your items and get to the front of the store. Somebody just threatened to rob and shoot up the store. And I was like, what? Like I just stood there for a second because I was like confused. I was like, what? And then I just like grabbed my stuff and went to the front of the store and checked out. And she was telling me that like some customer got like really upset and like, Basically, as he was leaving, he was like, I'm going to go home and get my gun and I'm coming back or something like that to her. I don't really know. So I get my stuff. I get in the car and I go. I get the fuck out of the parking lot, obviously. Like, I'm from Jacksonville. You know we don't play with the gun threats because that shit's very real where I'm from. So I got the fuck out of the parking lot. And then I was driving home and I thought to myself, like, this is where this is when I started to laugh, right? Like, Any normal person's reaction when somebody said that to them would have been like, bitch, I'm not like I'm not checking out. Y'all can keep this fucking dog food, this these fucking cleaning supplies, whatever. 
my reaction was, no, I actually still really need this stuff. So yeah, we're going to do that. We're going to check out and then I'm going to leave. Like what? I didn't even like think about it in that sense until I was literally in the car on the way home. I was like, I love that I literally still checked out when I knew that there was supposed to be somebody coming back. What the fuck is wrong with me? Um, but yeah, so that happened to me on Sunday and I just thought that was like so crazy. Like what a way to kick off the week on Sunday evening, you know? But yeah, that definitely happened and I got the fuck out of the parking lot and I don't actually know if anything ever took place because they closed the store early. I'm assuming that basically right after I left, they did too because they had to unlock the door to let me out. So I'm sure they got the fuck out of there too. I don't know, but it was so crazy. Like, I swear, maybe it's just because I'm from Jacksonville, but everywhere I go, there's, like, some sort of, like, fucking chaos going on. And I swear, the fucking 904 is following me <laughs> everywhere I go. I cannot get away from it. Like, cannot get away from it. But, yeah, so if you go to your local family dollar store, just make sure that you're being aware. And if the employees are running around, um, they're probably not grabbing items for the customer, <laughs> I guess is what I would like to say. Be very aware everywhere you are. Okay, so before we jump into today's story for Black History Month, I do want to give you guys a couple facts about Black History Month. Some of you may know them, some of you may not. There were a couple on here that, honestly, I just didn't know. Like, and I, I'm never going to fake with you guys and pretend like I knew something that I did not know because I think that's the problem that we're running into in society today, right? Like, Nobody wants to be educated, and then when people are trying to educate you, you just pretend like you already know something to save yourself, like, the secondhand embarrassment, I guess. Like, I hate I hate that people do that because knowledge is power, right? So anytime anybody's trying to put you up on some game or give you some knowledge or whatever the case is, like, we should always be willing to accept that information, especially the information that I discuss on the podcast, you know, the information that my platform rose from like this is so crucial to me everything I talk about on here is so crucial to me because I feel like these are the conversations that we didn't get to have in school right this isn't the information that they did give us and if they were teaching us it was very quick it wasn't like okay let's sit and study Claudette Colvin for three weeks and talk about everything that she did let's talk about the trial let's talk about like nobody did that (laughs) like nobody did that when we were in school you know it was very quick and to the point if we were discussing any black history at all so my whole point in the podcast is to reverse that like let's have those tough conversations let's talk about the difficult things let's discuss the things that make us uncomfortable right because has growth ever come from a place of being comfortable no any growth that we've ever seen from any person around us comes from a place of them being uncomfortable whether it's for a day two days, two weeks, two months, two years, it doesn't matter. They were all in this setting where they were uncomfortable and from it, a place of growth came. So that is my inspiration to you guys when it comes to having these tough conversations, these tense conversations. Have them, talk about them because this is how we're gonna grow as people. This is how we move forward as a nation, as one people, not separated like in fighting against each other and mad at each other and turning our backs on each other like I just I fucking hate that let's all just be accepting to the information open up our hearts open up our minds I sound I sound like a preacher right now I swear this is what they said to you in church growing up open up your hearts open up your mind 
But no, I really mean that. Like, really, like, let's take this information for what it is and then use it to educate the people around us so that we're all on the same page because we're not we're not ever going to mend anything that's ever happened if we continue to pretend like it did not happen. Let me say that again. We are never going to mend anything in this country that's ever happened if we continue to pretend as though it did not happen. Just want you guys to understand that. And another thing that I want to say, this specifically goes out to all of my white people listening. If you're having a conversation with a person of color, you do not get to tell them what is right and wrong. You don't. I'm sorry, but they know way more about that situation and that circumstance than you could ever fucking, ever fucking know. So I hate seeing that on social media where you see like white people going back and forth with different communities when in reality... We don't know anything, guys. Like, everything that we as white people know has been stolen or copycatted from another culture. Like, and that is the fucking truth. That is history. That is the fucking history that they should be teaching us in school. Hey, we stole this. Hey, we copycatted this. Hey, this wasn't our idea originally. So they, they don't do that. And that, that fucking bothers me. So I say all that to say. Let's have these tough conversations. White people, don't always assume that you're right. Don't always assume that your opinion is the only one that's correct. Like, that is not the fucking case at all. So, and if you're not one of those white people, cheers to you. (laughs) Because I'm not either, but there's so many of them out here. So, just want to make sure that's very clear. Okay, so just to give you guys some quick facts about Black History Month, historian Carter G. Woodson starts Black History Week is what it was called back then. It was called Negro History Week, and that started in 1926, and it only lasted about a week at the time. It was not the full month that we see now. So the reception from the general public at first wasn't as good as the initiators had hoped. However, however, Black History Week did gain popularity eventually, and in the 1930s, the celebration was observed in almost every state which had a large black population. So basically in 1969, There's two leaders at the Black United Students at Kent State University in Ohio, and they're like, hey, why is this shit only a week long? Like, we should be celebrating our people way longer than a week long. So in 1969, they decide that the celebration should be extended from just a week to the whole month of February. And in 1976, Black History Month was officially recognized by the federal government, which was led by Gerald Ford at the time. So obviously, if there's one thing that Black History Month does teach us, it's the important role that the black community plays in the American society. The United States is not the only country to celebrate Black History Month. Canada also began to observe Black History Month in 1995. The celebration was officially recognized by a 2008 bill, which received unanimous approval. In Canada, Black History Month is observed in the month of February, the same as the U.S., Another country that also celebrates Black History Month is the United Kingdom. In the UK, the month-long celebration takes place in the month of October rather than February. So instead of focusing on just a few well-known black men and black women in the U.S., Carter Woodson wanted the community to recognize all the other black men and women all over the world. He believed that there were many faceless and nameless people who deserved credit for their contribution to human society. For this reason, when discussing Black History Month facts, we now study not only the accomplishments of politicians, historians, and scholars, 
but also the work of investors, craftsmen, artists, and people who practice countless other professions. There are many Black History Month facts relating to the numerous achievements and contributions of the Black community throughout the history of human civilization. Among them are many innovative inventions by Black inventors. Popular, one of the most popular American dishes, mashed potatoes, my fucking favorite, was invented by Dr. William C. Davis. We have Frederick McKinley Jones to thank for our fresh groceries as he invented an air cooling unit used as he invented the air cooling units that are used in transport trucks. Phil Brooks, another black inventor, received the first U.S. patent for a disposable syringe. There are many examples of successful black women in the modern day, including, like, including people like Oprah, Tyra Banks, and countless others. But did you guys know that the first female self-made millionaire was a black woman? Madam C.J. Walker, who was born with the name of Cedra Breedlove, was the wealthiest black woman at the time of her death. Madam Walker built her wealth by developing a line of beauty and hair care products for black women. Aside from being an entrepreneur, she was also now she was also known as a philanthropist and made great contributions to the cause of education of black women to help them become financially independent and successful. I love that. I fucking love I mean, anything with women, right? Like, just to know that the first fucking self-made millionaire was a woman in general, but a black woman? Like, that's powerful, guys. That's powerful. I love that. Black History Month facts. Black History Month facts show that it took a long time for this tradition to gain recognition, recognition and popularity. The now month-long celebration was originally started by Carter G. Woodson with his college fraternity. Being only the second black man to earn a Harvard degree, Woodson valued education and he wanted to promote the study of black history. Although opposed by some critics, the celebration gained federal recognition in 1976 and is now widely celebrated across the U.S., Black History Month is a time to commemorate and recognize the role and contribution of the black community to our society today. And that information that I just cited was from facts.net. The title of the article is Black History Month. There is a lot more information that you guys can read about different black men and black women that really have impacted society. So I definitely encourage you to go check out this article, kind of read through it for yourself. I just wanted to give you guys a few quick facts before we jumped into today's story about Black History Month and how it was originated and how it grew to be what it was today. Okay, so the story that I have for you guys today, a lot of you, especially if you are a part of the black community, know who this is. If you are not a part of the black community, um... You might not know who this is, and that's fine because we're going we're gonna to talk about her and we're going to learn together. This is a name that I definitely heard before, but I didn't know the details of the story until recently. Like I said, I'm never going to sit here and pretend like I know everything. I will not fucking do that. I am somebody that will be the first one to tell you that we weren't educated on these things. Like, it's society's fault, the school's fault, the government's fault. We can blame it on whoever right we can blame it on whoever as to whose fault it actually is but 
the fact of the matter is, guys, though, is that we're in 2022, right? So we have all of these resources available to us at our fingertips. There's no excuse as to why we should not know this information. There's no fucking excuse. If we can Google what the closest Burger King is to us or the closest Chick-fil-A to us, we can Google people that they never taught us about. Like, I really encourage you all to do that. Like, go find an article where they're mentioning multiple successful black men and black women or people that have impacted our society that they did not teach us about. Like, find an article with multiple names on there. And then I just encourage you every day, pick a name off the article, go look the person up. Knowledge is power. Like, you guys are never going to hurt yourself by learning more. So I just want to encourage all of us to make sure we're continuously doing that. Okay, so for those of you who don't know who Claudette Colvin is, we're going to go Rosa Parks Jr. I guess is the best way to describe her, but not even a junior because she did the Rosa Parks before the Rosa Parks did the Rosa Parks. So I'm going to tell you guys about her. She is incredible just reading through this story, watching videos of this woman on YouTube. She is absolutely amazing. The information that I'm going to be citing from today is from an NPR.org article, which is titled, Before Rosa Parks, There Was Claudette Colvin. That is a timeline of everything that has happened. Feel free to go check that out. And also, we're going to be using good old Wikipedia. (laughs) I know people hate Wikipedia, but I just like it because it gives me the timeline in order, right? Like, if any of you have ever read, like, a crime article, You know, sometimes you have to, like, cross-reference and, like, do all these different things to piece the whole story together. So I like Wikipedia because it gives me the full timeline, the full story, and then I can cross-reference and add details into the timeline. So, yeah, Wikipedia and NPR are going to be the websites we're citing from today. Claudette Colvin, who was born Claudette Austin on September 5th, 1939, is an American pioneer of the 1950s civil rights movement, and she's a retired nurse aide. On March 2nd, 1955, she was arrested at the age of 15 in Montgomery, Alabama, for refusing to give up her seat to a white woman on a crowded, segregated bus. This occurred nine months before the more widely known incident in which Rosa Parks, who was the secretary of the local chapter of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, the NAACP helped spark the 1955 Montgomery bus boycott. Claudette was one of five plaintiffs in the first federal court case filed by civil rights attorney Fred Gray on February 1st, 1956, as Browder v. Gale to challenge bus segregation in the city. In a United States district court, she testified before the three-judge panel that heard the case. On June 13, 1956, the judges determined that the state and local laws requiring bus segregation in Alabama were were unconstitutional. The case went to the United States Supreme Court on appeal by the state, and it upheld the district court's ruling on November 13, 1956. One month later, the Supreme Court affirmed the order to Montgomery in the state of Alabama to end bus segregation. The Montgomery bus boycott was then called off after a few months. So for many years, Montgomery's black leaders did not publicize Claudette's pioneering effort. Claudette has said, young people think Rosa Parks just sat down on a bus and ended segregation, but that was not the case at all. Claudette's case was dropped by the civil rights campaigners because Claudette was unmarried and pregnant during the proceedings. 
It is now widely accepted that Claudette was not accredited by the civil rights campaigners at the time due to her circumstances. Rosa Parks said, If the white press got a hold of that information, they would have had a field day. They'd call her a bad girl and her case would have never stood a chance. The record of her arrest was expunged by the district court in 2021 with the support of the district attorney for the county in which the charges were brought more than 66 years before 66 years before I just want you guys to realize how insane that is right um so you guys will hear as I continue down the timeline like they do all these things for her in all these different states right they make a Claudette Colvin day they do statues they do all of this before they drop her fucking charges like and it's just it's literally just an example of our government trying to sweep shit under the rug like they always do it's that's literally what it is so like I mentioned, Claudette Colvin was born Claudette Austin in Birmingham, Alabama on September 5th, 1939 to Mary Jane Gatson and C.P. Austin. So C.P. leaves the family and Gatson was unable to financially support her children. So Claudette and her younger sister, Delphine, they were taken in by their great aunt and uncle, whose names were Mary Ann and Q.P. Colvin. And they had a daughter whose name was Velma Coleman and she had already moved out at the time. Claudette and Delphine refer to the Colvins as their parents, and they take their last name. When they take Claudette in, the Colvins lived in Pine Level, which was a small country town in Montgomery County, the same town where Rosa Parks grew up. When Claudette was eight years old, the Colvins moved to King Hill, which was a poor neighborhood in Montgomery where she spent the rest of her childhood. Two days before Claudette's 13th birthday, her sister Delphine dies of polio. Not long after that, in September 1952, Claudette starts to attend Booker T. Washington High School. Despite being a good student, Claudette had difficulty connecting with her peers in school due to grief of her sister. She was also a member of the NAACP Youth Council, where she forms a close relationship with her mentor, Rosa Parks. In 1955, Claudette was a school at the segregated Booker T. Washington High School in the city. She relied on the city's buses to get to and from school because her family did not own a car. The majority of the customers on the bus system were black, but they were discriminated against by its custom of the segregated seating. So since Colvin, since Claudette was a member of the NAACP Youth Council, she had been learning about the civil rights movement in school. On March 2nd, 1955, she was returning home from school. She sat in the colored section about two seats away from an emergency exit in a Capitol Heights bus. So as most of us know, with the bus segregation, this is kind of how it worked. Not even kind of, this is how it worked. If the bus became so crowded that all the quote-unquote white seats in the front of the bus were filled until the white people were standing, any black people that were on the bus at the time were supposed to get up from the nearby seats to make room for the white people, and they had to move further to the back and then stand in the aisle if there were no extra seats available in the section. So this day, when Claudette's headed home from school, a white woman gets on the bus, and she's standing in the front, and the bus driver, whose name was Robert W. Clear, commands that Claudette and three other black women in her row get up and move to the back. The other three women moved, but another black woman, whose name was Ruth Hamilton, she was pregnant at the time, she got on and sat down next to Claudette. The driver looked at the woman in the mirror. He asked both of us to get up. 
Miss Hamilton said she was not going to get up and that she had paid her fare and that she just didn't feel like standing, says Claudette. So I told him I was not going to get up either. So he said, if you are not going to get up, I will get a policeman. The police arrived and convinced a young black man sitting behind the two women to move so that Miss Hamilton could move back. But Claudette still said, I'm not moving. Claudette was forcibly removed from the bus and arrested by two policemen, Thomas J. Ward and Paul Healy. This event took place nine months before the NAACP Secretary Rosa Parks was arrested for the same offense. Claudette later says, My mother told me to be quiet about what I did. She told me to let Rosa be the one. White people aren't going to bother Rosa. They like her. Claudette did not receive the same attention as Parks for a number of reasons. She did not have quote-unquote good hair. She was not fair-skinned. She was a teenager. She got pregnant. The leaders in the civil rights movement tried to keep up appearances and make the most appealing protesters the most seen at the time. So basically, guys, if you're not understanding why they didn't really want to use her case as an example, because she was young, she was pregnant, she was unmarried, they knew back at this time that if they tried to push through with Claudette's case, that prosecutors, attorneys, the judges, they knew that they would basically just make this a mock, like a laughing matter, right? Because of the situation that Claudette was in at the time at 15 years old. They wouldn't have taken this seriously. And it sucks to say that. It's absolutely disgusting. It doesn't make a difference. Like, it shouldn't matter if you're 15 and pregnant. Like, you, you know, you can still make a difference. You can still be an example for something. But back at this time, they just didn't want to do that. They wanted whatever case they used as an example to be the one that would spring things forward. And they just didn't think using a young 15-year-old girl that was pregnant at the time would do that for them. When Claudette refused to get up, she was thinking about a school paper that she had written that day about the local customs that prohibited black people from using the dressing rooms in order to try on clothes in the department store. In a later interview, she says, We couldn't even try on clothes. You had to take a brown paper bag and draw a diagram of your foot and take it to the store. Referring to the segregation on the bus and the white woman, Claudette says, she couldn't sit in the same row as us because that would mean we were as good as her. The bus was getting crowded, and I remember the bus driver looking through the rearview mirror and asking Claudette to get up for the white woman, which she didn't, said Annie Larkins Price, who was a classmate of Claudette. She had been yelling, it's my constitutional right. She decided on that day she was not going to move. Claudette recalled, history kept me stuck to my seat. I felt the hand of Harriet Tubman pushing down on one shoulder and Sojourner Truth pushing down on the other. Claudette was handcuffed, arrested, and forcibly removed from the bus. She shouted that her constitutional rights were being violated. Claudette said, but I made a personal statement too, one that Rosa Parks didn't make and probably couldn't have made. Mine was the first cry for justice and a loud one. The police officers who took Claudette to the station made sexual comments about her body, and they took, they took turns guessing her bra size throughout the ride. Price testified for Claudette, who was tried in juvenile court. Claudette was initially charged with disturbing the peace, violating the segregation laws, and battering and assaulting a police officer. There was no assault, Price said. She also said in a book, which is called Claudette Colvin, Twice Towards Justice by Philip Hoos. 
that one of the police officers sat in the back seat with her. This made her very scared that they would sexually assault her because this happened frequently. A group of black civil rights leaders, including Martin Luther King Jr., was organized to discuss Claudette's arrest with the police commissioner. She was bailed out by her minister, who told her that she had brought the revolution to Montgomery. Through the trial, Claudette is represented by Fred Gray, a lawyer for the Montgomery Improvement Association, the MIA, which was organizing civil rights actions. She was convicted on all three charges in juvenile court. When Claudette's case was appealed to the Montgomery Circuit Court on May 6, 1955, the charges of disturbing the peace and violating the segregation laws were dropped, although her conviction for assaulting a police officer was upheld. Claudette's moment of activism was not solitary or random. In high school, she had high ambitions of political activity. She dreamed of becoming president of the United States. Her political inclination was fueled in part by an incident with her schoolmate, Jeremiah Reeves. His case was the first time that she had witnessed the work of the NAACP. Reeves was found having sex with a white woman who claimed that she was raped, though Jeremiah claims that their relations were consensual. He was executed for his alleged crimes. So Claudette applies to the family court in Montgomery County, Alabama, to have her juvenile record expunged. Daryl Bailey, the district attorney for the county, supported her motion, stating, Her actions back in March of 1955 were not criminal, inspired, not illegal. They should have led to praise and not prosecution. The judge ordered that the juvenile record be expunged and destroyed in December, December 2021. So not even six months ago. I just want you guys to realize how crazy that is. This happened in 1955. This woman did not get her record expunged until December of 2021. Four months ago. The judge ordered that the juvenile record be expunged and destroyed in December 2021, stating that Claudette's refusal had been recognized as a courageous act on her behalf and on behalf of a community of affected people. Together with Miss Browder, Susie McDonald, Mary Louise Smith, and Janetta Reese, Colvin was one of the five plaintiffs in the court case of Browder versus Gale. Janetta Reese later resigned from the case. The, the case challenged city bus segregation in Montgomery as unconstitutional. During the court case, Claudette described her arrest. I kept saying, he has no civil right. This is my constitutional right. You have no right to do this. And I just kept blabbing things out, and I never stopped. That was worse than stealing, you know, talking back to a white person. Browder versus Gale made its way through the courts. On June 5, 1956, the United States District Court for the Middle District of Alabama issued a ruling declaring the state of Alabama and Montgomery's laws mandating public bus segregation as unconstitutional, State and local officials appealed the case to the United States Supreme Court. The Supreme Court affirmed the district court decision on November 13, 1956. One month later, the Supreme Court declined to reconsider, and on December 20, 1956, the court ordered Montgomery and the state of Alabama to end bus segregation permanently. The Montgomery bus boycott was able to unify the people of Montgomery regardless of educational background or class. 
So after all this, Claudette gives birth to a son named Raymond in March 1956, whose father was often thought to be Elliot Klein. Klein was a notable white man and a public figure in Montgomery who sympathized with the black community during this time. Klein had also proposed to Claudette, but was turned down, and the two remained friends for the years following. Claudette leaves Montgomery for New York City in 1958 because she had difficulty finding and keeping work following her participation in the case that overturned bus segregation. And this is similar because in 1957, Rosa Parks had also left Montgomery for Detroit. Claudette stated that she was branded a troublemaker by many people in her community. She withdrew from college and struggled in the local environment. In New York, Claudette and her son Raymond initially lived with her older sister, Velma Coleman. Claudette began a job in 1969 as a nurse's aide in a nursing home in Manhattan. She works there for 35 years and she retires in 2004. While living in New York, she has a second son. He becomes an accountant in Atlanta. And then her first son, Raymond Colvin, dies in 1993 in New York of a heart attack at the age of 37. So Claudette is known as basically a catalyst to the Montgomery bus boycott movement of 1955, which gains national attention. But she rarely tells her story after she moves to New York City. The discussions in the black community began to focus on black enterprise rather than integration, although national civil rights legislation did not pass until 1964 and 1965. NPR's Margot Adler has said that the black organizations believed that Rosa Parks would be a better figure for a test case for integration because she was an adult, had a job, and had a middle-class appearance. They felt she had the maturity to handle being at the center of a potential controversy. Claudette was not the only woman of the civil rights movement who was left out of history books. In the South, male ministers made up the overwhelming majority of leaders. This was partially a product of the outward face that the NAACP was trying to broadcast and partially a product of the women fearing losing their jobs, which were often in the public school system. In 2005, Claudette told the Montgomery Advertiser that she would not have changed her decision to remain seated on the bus. I feel very, very proud of what I did, she said. I do feel like what I did was a spark and it caught on. I'm not disappointed. Let the people know that Rosa Parks was the right person for the boycott, but also let them know that the attorneys took four other women to the Supreme Court to challenge the law that led to the end of segregation. On May 20th, 2018, Congressman Joe Crowley honored Claudette for her lifetime commitment to public service with a congressional certificate and American flag. Colvin has often said that she's not angry that she did not get more recognition. Rather, she's disappointed. She said she felt as though she was getting her Christmas in January rather than the 25th. Claudette and her family have been fighting for recognition for her actions. In 2016, the Smithsonian Institution and its National Museum of African American History and Culture were challenged by Claudette and her family who asked that Claudette be given a more prominent mention to the history of the civil rights movement. The museum has a section that's dedicated to Rosa Parks, which Claudette does not want taken away, but her family's goal is to get the historical record right and for officials to include Claudette's part of history. 
Claudette was not invited officially for the formal dedication of the museum, which opened to the public in September 2016. All we want is the truth. Why does history fail to get it right? Claudette's sister, Gloria Laster, said. Had it not been for Claudette Colvin, Miss Browder, Susie McDonald, and Mary Louise Smith, there may not have been a Thurgood Marshall, a Martin Luther King, or a Rosa Parks. In 2000, Troy State University opened a Rosa Parks Museum in Montgomery to honor the town's place in the civil rights history. Roy White, who was in charge of most of the project, he asked Claudette if she would like to appear in a video to tell her story, but Claudette refused. She said, they've already called it the Rosa Parks Museum, so they've already made up their mind what the story is. And I just think that's so fucking powerful. They've already made up their minds what the story is. Like, this is something we see over and over again in history. Like, they tell us what they want us to see the story is. Like, you have to go find the actual information. Like, I just think that's so powerful. They've already made up their minds what the story is. Mm. Claudette's role has not gone completely unrecognized. Councilman Larkin's sister was on the bus in 1955 when Claudette was arrested. In 2010, Larkin arranged for a street to be named after Claudette. Later, Reverend Joseph Rembert said, If nobody did anything for Claudette in the past, why don't we do something for her right now? He contacted Montgomery Councilman Charles Ginwright and Tracy Larkin. In 2017, the council passed a resolution for a proclamation honoring Claudette. March 2nd was named Claudette Colvin Day in Montgomery. So again, we're doing all these things, but keep in mind, she still has all of her charges on her record at this point. She's got a day named after her. They're asking her to be in museums, but her charges are still there. They were never dropped. Like, if, if that's not insane to you, if that doesn't make you sick, once again, listening to the wrong podcast, click the fuck off of it, please. Mayor Todd Strange presented the proclamation and when speaking of Claudette said she was an early foot soldier in our civil rights and we did not want this opportunity to go by without declaring March 2nd as Claudette Colvin Day to thank her for her leadership in the modern day civil rights movement. Rembert said, I know people have heard her name before, but I just thought we should try to have a day to celebrate her, but I just thought we should have a day to celebrate her. Claudette could not attend the proclamation due to health concerns at the time. In 2019, a statue of Rosa Parks was unveiled in Montgomery, Alabama, and four granite marker and four granite markers were also unveiled near the statue on the same day to honor four plaintiffs in Browder versus Gale, including Colvin. And that is the story of Claudette Colvin. So, yeah, you guys, I was reading through some articles and just happened to stumble across this and started reading on Miss Claudette. And I was just amazed by the story, like amazed by the story, the strength. I mean, she's 15 years old. And not only was she 15 years old, but she was pregnant. Like this girl took a whole stand. She said, "Nah, fuck y'all. I'm sitting right here. I'm fucking done with that. Like, what a powerful, powerful, powerful story. Like, uh. So before we end off today, I did mention that there was a book that had been written about this. I want to read an excerpt from the book just because it really is so powerful. Um, hold on, scrolling down here. Okay. So yeah, this is an excerpt from Claudette Colvin, Twice Towards Justice by Philip Hoos. And I just feel like this 
just gives us the perspective that she was in that day. And I feel like that's important to share as well. So Claudette says, one of them said to a driver in a very angry tone, who is it? The motorman pointed at me. I heard him say, that's nothing new. I've had trouble with that thing before. He called me thing. They came to me and stood over me and one said, aren't you going to get up? I said, no, sir. He shouted, get up again. I started crying, but I felt even more defiant. I kept saying over and over in my high-pitched voice, it's my constitutional right to sit here as much as this lady. I paid my fare. It's my constitutional right. I knew I was talking back to a white policeman, but I had had enough. One cop grabbed one of my hands and his partner grabbed the other one, and they pulled me straight up out of my seat. My books went flying everywhere. I went limp as a baby. I was too smart to fight back. They started dragging me backwards off the bus. One of them kicked me. I might have scratched one of them because I had long nails, but I sure did not fight back. I kept screaming over and over. It's my constitutional right. I wasn't shouting anything profane. I never swore. Not then. Not ever. I was just shouting my rights. It just killed me to leave the bus. I hated to give that white woman my seat when so many other black people were standing. I was crying hard. The cops put me in the back of a police car and shut the door. They stood outside and talked to each other for a minute, and then one came back and told me to stick my hands out of the open window. He handcuffed me and then pulled the door open and jumped in the back seat with me. I put my knees together and crossed my hands over my lap and started praying. The entire ride, they swore at me and ridiculed me. They took turns trying to guess my bra size. They called me the N-word and the B-word and cracked jokes about parts of my body. I recited the Lord's Prayer and the 23rd Psalm over and over again in my head, trying to push back the fear. I assumed they were taking me to juvenile court because I was only 15. I was thinking, now I'm going to be picking cotton since that's how they punish juveniles. They put you in a school out in the country where they made you do field work during the day. But we were going in the wrong direction. They kept telling me I was going to Atmore, the women's, the women's penitentiary. Instead, we pulled up to the police station and they led me inside. More cops looked up, more cops looked up when we came in and they started calling me thing and whore. They booked me and took my fingerprints. They put me back in the car and drove me to the city jail, the adult jail. Someone led me straight to the cell without giving me a chance to make a phone call. He opened the door and told me to get inside. He shut it hard behind me and turned the key. The lock fell into place with a heavy sound. It was the worst sound I ever heard. It sounded final. It said I was trapped. When he went away, I looked around me. Three bare walls, a toilet, and a cot. Then I fell down on my knees in the middle of the cell and started crying again. I didn't know if anybody knew where I was or what had happened to me. I had no idea how long I would be there. I cried and I put my hands together and prayed like I had never prayed before. Meanwhile, schoolmates who had been on the bus had run home and telephoned Claudette's mother at the house where she worked as a maid. Girls went over and took care of the lady's three small children so that Claudette's mother could leave. Mary Ann Colvin called Claudette's pastor, Reverend H.H. H. Johnson. He had a car, and together they sped to the police station. When they led Mom back, there I was in a cell. I was crying hard, and then Mom got upset too. 
When she saw me, she didn't bail me out. She just asked, are you all right, Claudette? Reverend Johnson bailed me out and we drove home. By the time we got to King Hill, word had spread everywhere. All of our neighbors came around and they were just squeezing me to death. I felt happy and proud. I'd been talking about getting our rights ever since Jeremiah Reeves was arrested and now they knew I was serious. Velma, QP, and Mary Ann's daughter, who was living with us at the time, kept saying that it was my squeaky little voice that saved me from getting beat up or raped by the cops. But I was afraid that night, too. I had stood up to a white bus driver and two white cops. I had challenged the bus law. There had been lynchings and cross burnings for that kind of thing. Wetumpka Highway that led out of Montgomery ran right past our house. It would have been easy for the clan to come up on the hill at night. Dad sat up all night long with his shotgun. We all stayed up. The neighbors facing the highway kept watch. Probably nobody on King Hill slept that night. But worried or not, I felt proud. I had stood up for our rights. I had done something a lot of adults had not done. On the ride home from jail, Reverend Johnson had said something to me that I'll never forget. He was an adult who everyone respected and his opinion meant a lot to me. Claudette, he said, I'm so proud of you. Everyone prays for freedom. We've all been praying and praying, but you're different. You want your answer the next morning, and I think you just brought the revolution to Montgomery. (sighs) And again, that's an excerpt from the book. I just thought that was so powerful. Like that whole little part just gives you like Claudette's perspective, the perspective of her mom, like, oh, so powerful. Definitely go check that book out if you guys are interested so you can get maybe the full perspective from Claudette. But yeah, that is the story of Claudette Colvin, the 15-year-old who was the OG of Rosa Parks. (laughs) She was the first one to actually say, no, fuck y'all. I'm sick of this bullshit. I'm not getting up. Arrest me. I'm not getting up. And I just think that's so powerful just because, you know, she was so fucking young. There is a video of Miss Claudette Colvin speaking on the ToriBirchFoundation.org. There's a video of her speaking, telling her story. Um, I definitely will link that in the show notes so that you guys can watch that. I believe it's about 17 minutes. But yeah, you can put a face to the name, watch her story, hear it directly from her. Um, it's a great video. I'll make sure to link that. And again, that's on the ToriBirchFoundation.org if you wanted to go look it up. I hope all of you listening today learned something from that episode that you maybe didn't know before, that you take this story and maybe share it with somebody who you know hasn't heard it. Um, I say this on every episode, but I just want you guys to really, really understand to me like how important it is that we're educating ourselves and learning these stories and sharing these stories and using them as a way to connect and grow and be better as people because that is how we do it by education knowledge is power and that is something that I'm sure most of us have heard our entire lives knowledge is power knowledge and power but it's true like and that is just what my plan is for this platform is to continue using this as a place for me to learn for you guys to learn for us to have these tough discussions that nobody wants to have like 
I get it, guys. Nobody likes being uncomfortable. Nobody does, right? But the black community has spent their entire lives being uncomfortable in this country because of us. So if we can have a 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30-minute conversation that's uncomfortable for us, I think we should be willing to do that. Like, nothing ever comes from a place of comfort. You have to step out of the box. You really, really do to see yourself grow. And I just... I can't stress that enough. So anyways, I can keep rambling, but I love everyone listening so much. I appreciate you guys for being, I appreciate you guys for being on this journey with me. I appreciate all the people that follow the podcast Instagram for everyone that's left a rate or a review on Apple podcasts for everyone that's reached out and just been encouraging to me. I really appreciate you guys, you know, like there's some days where I just feel so down or I feel like I don't have the energy to sit and record or to take notes. And then I get a text or a message from somebody on social media telling me that, Hey, I really liked this case or I really like the way that you worded this. Like this episode was so good and that is my inspiration to keep going. I know what I'm doing is making a difference and that's all I want to do. Like I've always told my dad since I was a little girl, like I want to change the world one day. And I do. I want to like even if that's spending the rest of my life like sitting on this mic and educating people, I will do that. Like I don't care. I just want us all to be educated and to be growing every fucking day. So yeah, if you haven't already, make sure to leave a rate and a review on Apple Podcast. Um, there's way more of you listening than there is reviews. So I know you guys hear me say that every week and just don't do it. So please fucking do it. It really helps me out. Also, Spotify has now also added ratings. So if you haven't rated on Spotify, please go do that. Leave me a quick five star or a zero star if you think I suck. I don't know. But I just love you guys. I appreciate you so much. And guys, next month is the two-year anniversary of Suspect. So I remember when I started Suspect and I had like, I was so excited to get like four listens on an episode. I was like, oh, Turn the fuck up. Four people just listen to me. We are bawling. But now there's 12,000 of you. And I just like, I can't wrap my mind around the fact that that many of you keep coming back for every fucking episode to listen to me. Like, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. My social anxiety is thriving, honey. She's thriving. It gets easier and easier for me to like be involved in social interactions strictly because of the podcast. And I owe that to you guys. So. Thank you. Real quick before we end off, if you are one of my listeners that has been listening since the very beginning, episode one, then you guys know that I used to have a co-host on the podcast with me, Hannah, who was my best friend my entire life growing up. Like our moms were friends growing up. We're like two weeks apart. We pretty much have spent every day together our entire lives (laughs) until we became adults, but I mean, I was over at her grandma's house for, like, Sunday lunch after church, like, all that kind of stuff. But Hannah is not with us anymore. I do think that she'll be tuning in to, you know, maybe do a guest appearance every once in a while. But, you know, she just has her own priorities and her own goals going on in her life. And she decided to take a step back from the podcast, which is fine. But I'm saying all this to say, if you've listened since episode one, then you know Hannah's voice, you know who she is, and I just wanted to take a second to 
So I just wanted to say happy birthday to Hannah. My girl Hannah is turning 25 on the 25th and just wanted to take a second to say, Hannah, I'm so thankful for our friendship. We've been friends for literally 25 years. Like you're the longest friend I've ever had. Um, I'm so thankful for you for loving me through every season of my life, for understanding me, for supporting me, for, I don't know, just being who you are, I guess is the best way to describe it. You guys, since Hannah and I have been friends for such a long time, like (laughs) Hannah knows like the real me and I'm like, I have a really crazy personality, like a very like eccentric personality, I guess is the way to put that. And like growing up, it was really hard for me to find where I fit in because of that, you know, especially when you're younger, like kids are so fucking mean, you know, but Hannah made me feel like I belonged wherever I was. If she was there, I knew I belonged. I knew I was wanted there. I knew that people enjoyed being around me. Um, so I just want to thank her for that, for being the reason that I'm 25 and still have this eccentric personality. It was because you accepted that when we were like six. And I thank you so much for that. Also, you guys, Hannah is a big part of the reason that this podcast like even exists in the first place. I mean, so a lot of you probably don't know this, but I was like really involved with the church growing up and Hannah and I went to the same church as well. So Hannah and I got to be behind the scenes of a lot of the stuff that was going on and that was going on at church on stage, whether that was like a play or a dance or a sign language um, interpretation, whatever the case was, we got to single handedly like help put that show on essentially for the church. So between that and then also when we were 15 years old, we got to be on a state planning committee for a youth convention in the state of Florida So because of all those things that her and I have had experience in, like she's really just inspired me to like go after this stage presence that I want. Like whether it's like with the podcast or putting on live shows or whatever the case is, like she is really part of the reason that I'm so confident in my stage presence and speaking to an audience and being comfortable in a shit ton of, being comfortable in front of like a shit ton of people. That is my girl. So Anyways, I rambled a lot basically just to say happy birthday, but happy birthday, Hannah. I love you. Thank you so much for being my best friend and being somebody that I know I can always count on. So you guys go wish Hannah a happy birthday. Okay, you guys, I'm going to end this off here. Follow the podcast Instagram at Suspect Podcast. Leave me a review on all the platforms and...